Welcome to the Natural Underground. I'm your host, Al Springer. Why do you laugh every time I do that? <laughs> You're just so excited. I am excited. It always start. You got to start off somewhere good, and then slowly dwindle down to average. <laughs> to That's DJ the whole voice. goal of my life. That's the whole goal of my life. You're nailing it. <laughs> this program is brought to you by New Brand University, the educational arm of the Touch Agency. Joining me in the studio today, of course, are fantastic cast peanut of characters, gallery. our peanut gallery. <laughs> we got Ryan like Creasy in A Man on Fire. Great Every movie. day he paints a new business masterpiece. That is a dated movie reference right there. That's a great movie. If we can just do Denzel movie references from now on. Yeah, there's a lot of them. I just watched one and I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Must have really left well, an impression. No, but he's always said the same character. But he you is. just love the guy. I could watch him, 10 more of those. You gotta, that, that, <laughs> yes, that voice you hear in the background. In the background. Yeah. Would you go in the background, please? <laughs> That is Jessalyn. And boy, I wish <laughs> I had something to say. To say about That's and her. moving on. <laughs> Man, I, wrote, I wrote down something. I just can't remember what it is. Uh, look, if there's two things you need to know about Jessalyn. Let's just skip to it. There's two things you need to know about Jessalyn. She's big in local theater. And mm. when she visits the city, she immediately signs up for a ghost tour. Hey, and, I'm proud of both of those only, things. Only later to be sorely disappointed that she didn't see any ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good story right there. It is. You want to chat about that for a minute? Yeah. Well, I'm. I, I do like to go on ghost tours, and to be honest, I've only actually ever been on the one. Okay. Uh, but I've thought about it a lot, so I finally do it, and we go, and I make you go, and some other people go. Uh, let's tell the story. So we find ourselves <laughs> as a group in the Big Easy, right? What right. we like to call Nolens. 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 And ghost so, city right there. The minute Jesslyn drops her bags off, she signs us all up for a ghost tour. <laughs> and you have to understand, the entire way over there, just chatting it up about how great this is going to be. This is going to be just... Oh, I was like, I wonder what kind of ghost yeah, we're going we to see. What are going to see? What kind of crazy stories? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we get over there, and we should make up the guy's name in case he's still working there. In case he's listening. Yeah, let's call him... <laughs> Doug. Uh, Doug. <laughs> That's such That's a great fitting. name. And Doug, no, Doug is more dynamic than anything that this guy offered. <laughs> so it's, first of all, Ryan, it's 98 degrees at right. night. You know, it's New Orleans, right? It's, it's not hot. A, great not, music it's group. hot down now. But there's not a bit of a breeze. And we're sitting there and waiting in line for like 45 minutes just with all and these I'm other pumped. people. She's pumped. Can't stop talking about ghosts. I'm at this point trying to get into ghosts, but I'm sweating just profusely. <laughs> And so we get our guy, right? And he comes, he comes, he comes correct in the beginning. He brings yeah. a little energy. Mm -hmm. He's got maybe, let's call it a fang or something. What he, did had he, have? Fangs. he had fangs. He had real fangs. Though. Yeah. Like he had filed. Like he had put bill. them or had them glued on or That's something. That's exactly right. So we get in line. A and we, permanent fang? Yeah. And he, mm -hmm. But he, he gathers us up and takes us. And meanwhile, while we're waiting, we're watching these other groups go by. And each of these other groups looks like a rolling party. There's practically yeah, a band behind them. They've it. got yeah, they've got uh, lobster, you know, dinners uh, that they're carrying. <laughs> but we party got Doug. Hats. <laughs> we get Doug. <laughs> Doug goes about a block down the street from where we started, and stops. And he starts telling us, kind of yammering on about some building and like like behind this pillar, you've got this and that and the other thing and whatever. <laughs> and so all cool. Except we noticed that 10 minutes later, we're still on that corner. And he's kind of <laughs> lost in some story that no one at this no, point no is one really knows. engaged. But we're all still hopeful. Yeah. Meanwhile, these one group after another laughing, celebrating, <laughs> high-fiving, music playing, little band behind them. They keep going by. And on to our next ghost. <laughs> and and I, can't the I mean, the only thing that would have been less 
de- more depressing is if ghosts had been with the other group <laughs> walking along, <laughs> and we got none of it. Well, right? and then so, we are like, how do we evacuate? Right. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So mm, you guys got the dud because you could we tell got, he was nervous. Dud, he was nervous and like really had been practicing it. in the mirror. I think. Yeah, and a then, lot. And then like in every group, you have the one overly sincere woman who's so into she it. She was answering all his questions yeah, so like, sincerely. She goes, well, how does a ghost move through walls? And she's like trying to offer something. You know Nobody what she else. said? She said, because the walls weren't there before. Ooh. That's right. In, in that and everyone's life. like, yep, yep. And, you know, Mind honestly, blown. that was the, the highlight of the whole thing. At least <laughs> yeah. it got you thinking. Yeah. Meanwhile, now we've lost 10 to 15 pounds of sweat. We haven't moved off this corner and so we start making eye contact with each other like we, we just have to bail. This is just a busted play. Write it off. Money poorly spent. But the best thing about it is while we're on that corner, as we're organizing ourselves and sort of slightly shuffling to the back, mm-hmm. you could see the other people who are closer to him going, oh, no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. They were like, the, these guys this. are not leaving. You are not going to pull this off and leave us here because we figured pretty quickly somebody can leave first. And act like they just had to go. But then the next person really sort mm-hmm. of yeah. they own it. They own it. This I is should have done some sort of an acting shtick. Like Pan said I was having a well, you know, I think heart we were, attack. I think I did because we were at that corner and I remember pointing to like I just got yeah, been around the corner. I got something around the corner, but let me just get hey, you know, Jessalyn, I'm gonna come around the corner. And so we did and we started running like tiny schoolgirls. I, I thought he was there gonna come go. after us. And, with the and, fangs. And, and, and yeah. I can remember looking back and seeing the lady who was right next to him just with a look of death. Like, yeah. you Thanks left a us lot. here. <laughs> and I'm telling you, I think we went to dinner, had some drinks on bourbon, looked down the street, they were still on that corner. <laughs> no chance. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> okay. But I've thought about that day a lot, and I wish I would have stayed almost, but I also think we made the right decision. Oh, oh you clearly made the right decision. I will, uh, I will try to find a more legit ghost tour out there, and I'm inviting all of you, and you're welcome to come. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to our uh, favorite part of our weekly show. This is yes, our salute is. to our favorite food and beverage addictions. We call it, what are you eating this week? But I'm going to start calling it pie hole. Mm. Time's wasting, don't you know? Put something tasty in my old pie. Hole. Nice, Ryan. Hole. I can Hole. harmonize. Hole. <laughs> I'll start. This week, I've been all over the Cliff Bar nut butter filled bars. Oh, you know, the new one? So no, I haven't good. seen it. Oh, What's yeah. that River about? of goodness. It is. It's delightful. <laughs> mm. High protein, higher protein than your average Cliff Bar because, as we all know, nut butter is very protein dense. As soon as I saw them, I got excited because we did a special recently on, like on nut, nut butters butter and, yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, that's mm-hmm. a big trend what's gonna verify that more than cliff bar a huge company coming right. out doing that and to your point you've said before when big companies do something when big companies innovate like yeah that, on a level that i haven't seen any smaller brand do like normally the it's the small brands who come up with the the innovation and then but, the big companies try and buy them exactly right. yeah <laughs> or they just copy it and bury them with money but yeah. not this time this time cliff bars lead the charge on a new thing that i think is going to be big that's well awesome. we've always enjoyed cliff bar at our agency because the founder of cliff bar gary erickson wrote a book called raising the bar about a third of the way into the book he quotes us at the touch agency about whether a brand has mojo or not and how hard it is to uh, kind of create mojo and then keep mojo as you build your company austin powers knows that he does that's where we no doubt where we stole the word from. <laughs> uh but with that said later in the show we're going to try and take after our guest uh interview a guest entrepreneur we're going to try and take a minute or two a few minutes and talk about what are those five steps that help a brand get 
mojo going mm-hmm. and keep mojo uh, what about personal mojo i need some personal we all mojo. need a little bit of that <laughs> uh, real quickly my favorite part of the week kirby lane the 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 great sort of institutional yeah. the institution in austin for late for after late night partying go have some cool pancakes go have some queso they now have a vegan queso out and it's right. at whole foods just i think in the southwest right now but it's mm-hmm. delicious Go get yourself there, some. There aren't very it's many good. vegan queso get options, so that's Zero, awesome. I yeah. think, other than that one. At, yeah, uh, at I'm going to have to try that. Well, my product is actually, this for you, Al, it's called Love Beats. I know you're all about the beats recently. And about the love. Mm, but so <laughs> yeah, I don't blame <laughs> they come in these uh, little it's like a little almost portable tub container and they're these little baby beads and so you can open them and reseal them they have a bunch of awesome flavors like um, sweet fire which is a little spicy so they're baby beads eat them on the go they're you know really how high. you eat baby beats in tiny little packages with ten, tiny, tiny little, little hands <laughs> tiny hands <laughs> I was gonna say uh, we don't have those in the studio today. no we don't let's go let's no. start over yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the uh, uh, beets are very high in vitamin C, fiber, and potassium, so they're actually so hot a really right fulfilling now. snack. So yeah, and they also have juice and some so other shredded right beets. If you want to uh, figure, if you want to figure that out, if you want to try them out, I should say you can go to lovebeets.com. Okay, we have to take a break. When we return, we're going to take a great guest on the show and have the perfect chip for that queso we were just talking about. Exactly. The vegan queso from Kirby Lane. Second plug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when we return, we will have the founder of the Good Bean on the show. You're listening to the Natural Underground. But it was worth every Welcome back to the Natural Underground. Look, we are so lucky today to be joined by Sarah Wallace of The Good Bean. If you're into better for you snacking and you have not yet discovered The Good Bean, where have you been, people? What (laughs) are you doing? (laughs) These goodies are so tasty, so addictive. Sarah, thank you so much for visiting the Natural Underground. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So for our listeners who have may not have la- or they've landed on this planet this morning and they don't they've never tried this before, what is the good bean? The good bean is a brand of bean protein snacks. Uh, we were the first in the industry to launch roasted chickpeas about yep. Five years ago now, um, and um, just because they're such an excellent source of, uh, of quality plant proteins, and from that point forward, we've then innovated into many other types of snacks involving beans. Essentially, wherever we felt like we could infuse some good protein into snack foods, we've tried to do that. So we launched uh, bars soon after the chickpeas, which are made of um, chickpeas and fruits and, and fruits. So essentially, it's a, the fruit and chickpea bar instead of fruit and nut bar. Yeah. Uh, so it's a nut-free product. And then we also have recently launched bean chips made of um, different types of beans and lentils and sweet potatoes that taste as close to a tortilla chip as a bean chip can taste. In fact, people would know there were beans in it if we didn't tell them. Um, but so they have, but they have that great bean nutrition um, without the, um, the kind of the beany aftertaste some of our other competitors have in the marketplace. Absolutely. Um, and then most recently, we have just launched a line of uh, roasted fava beans and green peas with coconut oil, um, just sort of expanding the portfolio of bean snacks and options uh, for people who are looking for, like I said, good protein nutrition um, without the without the without the detrimental effects of, pr- of other proteins like soy, dairy, and meat. 
Yeah, you got so many forms. That's what makes it kind of fun to, to get your kind of healthy snacking on. So let's start with your chips. That's right. I, I love, I personally love yeah. bean chips and I love the good bean. Why are these chips so unique and why? how did you end up getting it so tasty? So to your point, there's really no sacrifice. It's quite the opposite. Once you start eating these, they become the standard of what you consider a tasty chip to be. How did you do that? Um, sure. So just a little bit of a background on why the, bean, the, why the chips came about. Um, you know, when we looked at the category of bean chips, we did think that, um, you know, there was definitely a, a huge market for it because people are looking for nutrition from their snack foods as people continue to snack more and more in, in place of meals. Um, but when we looked at the bean chips in the marketplace, we felt like they had a very strong beanie taste to them. And um, it, it made us think that perhaps the market was being limited because of that, because of people being sort of turned off by the taste of the beans and the bean chips and maybe eating them, you know, as, like you said, sort of a, a sacrifice, uh, which should not be something you experience when you're snacking. Snacking is supposed to be about fun and indulgence and a lack of mouth boredom and all of that good stuff, right? So, um, so we set out to make a bean chip that tasted like a tortilla chip. Um, and what we found is that when we added sweet potatoes to our bean chips, not only did we bring in all that good sweet potato nutrition, the, you know, it's, uh, sweet potatoes, as you know, are a great source of beta carotene and vitamin A, uh, but we also found that it canceled out that beanie flavor completely and brought just like a really delicious moorishness to the chip um, that brought it out of the bean chip category and more into a better for you tortilla chip space. So the way that we think of our bean chips is it's not a bean chip, it's a multi-bean tortilla chip. And not only is that, you know, more delicious and more addictive um, as a snack food, but we also believe that it brings incrementality to the bean chip marketplace in that it brings in people who might be tortilla chip consumers looking for a little more nutrition and are attracted to the bean chip uh, that we provide as opposed to existing consumers of the bean chip category who are eating bean chips because, A, they just have determined that that's what they love or that they believe the nutrition is better. But ultimately, you know, that's always going to be a limited market because people, people put their money where their mouth is and the mouth is where taste happens. And so we wanted to make sure that the taste was supreme in our, in our product. You know, it's funny. I personally discovered um, the good bean because I was looking for chips that had a little bit more protein, a little less carby vibe to them or feel. So sure. that's how I discovered bean chips. And then that's how I discovered the good bean. And then, it, then you get addicted to the flavor. Is that how most folks come into your brand and get introduced to your brand is they were looking for that ingredient first and then were blown away by the taste? I believe so. Um, you know, we, and I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but we, we get a lot of feedback on our chips uh, from people saying they didn't expect them to taste so good. I'm not sure that that's what necessarily you want to hear, <laughs> but at the same time, <laughs> you know, when, when they have that moment of truth and they taste our product, they do get very pleasantly surprised by it. And so what that tells us is that, you know, the way to make our product successful is to have as much trial as possible and put as many chips in people's mouths as possible to really get them to sort of transform their opinion on what a bean chip can actually taste like. Well, you mentioned the flavor and the taste and how surprised people are. So first of all, they come in amazing flavors, right? Sweet chili, jalapeno cheddar, sea salt, cheesy nacho, barbecue bacon. Just a fun sort of side question. What is your favorite flavor personally? Uh, the jalapeno cheddar. 
All right. Bar none. Oh, I, I love that. I love that product. That's the I one you want. I can eat an entire bag in no time. That's the, <laughs> that's the one. I'm glad you're eating your own product. That's very good. Is uh, is that the I one do. you would have? It's, it's, it's dangerous how much of it I eat, actually. is So you're not burnt out on your... I always think if you're working on a brand, no. it'd be easy to... Oh, that's not so at all. cool. Not burned out on the product. Mm-mm. So, is the jalapeno cheddar the one? If you had a, a chance to have the person try uh, a new person try it for the first time, that'd be the flavor. I don't think so. I think the the, the flavor that I would have, you know, just any person like a new consumer try would be the sweet chili because it has that sort of like light sort of chili heat but it's really balanced out with like a sweet sort of you know slightly um citrusy flavor as well so it's got a little tang it's got a little sweetness it's got a little chili so it's a really balanced flavor and i think it has more universal appeal the jalapeno cheddar is definitely spicy and i'm a chili head so for me that is what appeals to me um but the, the, the sweet chili is much more universally um i think appealing and that is borne out by our sales i mean the sweet chili flavor in our in terms of sales is actually our number one selling flavor which is very unusual, as you know, in the snack category where sea salt, the basic, you know, um, entree level flavor is the one that always wins. But in our case, the sweet chili is actually outselling the sea salt in many major markets, especially at Kroger. Very cool. If I ever start a band, I'm calling it Chili Head. I don't know why, but it just sounds like Chili a good, Head. Yeah, Chili Head <laughs> sounds like a good band name. There might Thank already you. be a band named Chili Head. I'm just saying, <laughs> there probably sure. is somewhere. They may not be big, but they're somewhere. <laughs> so one of the things I noticed on your chip when I first started buying your chips, they look like they have more of a, a a dusting of spices and flavors on them than maybe some of the other bean chips. Was that on purpose? And is that how you accomplish these amazing flavors? Yes, we uh, we set out to really create a, like I said, sort of an indulgent snacking experience. And one of the things that we, that, you know, my gold standard for chips has always been Doritos. And, you know, when I think about Doritos and I think about that, like the, the seasoning that sort of like, you know, left, that lingers on your fingers that you kind of lick afterwards um, or at the bottom of the bag. I mean, that is what makes a junk food experience really indulgent. And really, you know, one of the core values of the Good Bean is to create a, non-junk junk food experience because we do believe that snacking is about that that level of you know kind of that guilty pleasure and so what we want to be able to do is make healthy snacking and better for you snacking as accessible to as many people as possible and so for us you know trying to emulate the experience of eating a Dorito is what we really wanted to do, not just with our chips, but with all of our snacks. Um, and so you know we when we looked at the other sort of better for you chips, we found them to be really sort of lightly seasoned and maybe that's part and parcel of like the healthy snacking template. And we wanted to depart from that because we didn't know that it necessarily had that much value. Um, and so, yes, that was a deliberate choice. Um, all your chips have non-GMO gluten-free and made in the USA certifications. How important are these qualifications Correct. to your company? They're paramount to our company. Um, so first of all, you know, from a um, from a made in the U.S. perspective, you know, we are really dedicated to a sustainable domestic supply chain for all of our products. Um, for instance, with our chickpeas, all of our chickpeas are grown in the Dakotas and in Washington State. Um, we are connected. Like deeply connected with our uh, with the farmers who grow the products, with the aggregators who then harvest and and process them, and then and then they come straight to us for manufacturing. So you know we we believe in 
that supply chain for a number of reasons, one of which, of course, is the is the quality and the sustainability of um, having a domestic supply chain. And the other also is that, you know, one of the sort of uh, values of the good bean is around better agriculture and sort of, you know, having the kind of company that can actually have an impact on big ag. And so one of the things that's great about legumes in general and chickpeas in particular is that they actually do make a dent in monoculture, in the monoculture of wheat, soy, and so on, um, because they are used as a, as a rotational crop to bring nitrogen back into the soil by a lot of farmers. So what you're seeing is that, you know, there's been a sort of a, a slight shift, not a huge shift yet, but it's definitely growing around, you know, the big the big soybean, soybean industry and um and sugar industry even, um, where legumes are being grown in place of some, some of these crops. And so the fact that, you know, the good bean with its its demand on the industry can actually make a change in the face of American agriculture to be more diverse and go back to the way things used to be and should be is something that's really important to us. All right. We need to take a break. When we come back, more with Sarah Wallace from The Good Bean. You're listening to The Natural Underground. I can drop you a line every now and then It's up to you Welcome back to The Natural Underground We're joined today by Sara Wallace of The Good Bean This is a segment of the show where we begin to turn our attention more to the entrepreneurial side of building a brand so we're going to get into some questions now to kind of like how you started the business and what did that look like? Sorry, we want to ask you two questions we ask every entrepreneur that comes on the show. First, where did you grow up? Okay. I grew up in, in Bombay in India. Very oh, wow. interesting. You're the first person on our show that's had that answer of that particular city. So we, we need a map on there the wall go. now. Yeah, that's we very do. cool. <laughs> Secondly, what do you want to be when you grew up? And was making tasty snacks ever part of the dream? You know, not at all, as is probably the answer you get from most entrepreneurs, or I don't know if you do, but no, this was never on my radar. I didn't expect to really be in the food industry. I always loved food, and I always, like, as a kid, I, I grew up, like, reading recipe books, which is an odd choice for a kid. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually grew up wanting to be a writer, um, and um, and I was thinking of going to journalism school, and of course that never happened. And then I, I sort of fell into the food industry because it just so happened that I lived in Berkeley, and um, Cliff Bar was based in Berkeley. And so one of my first jobs out of college, not immediately, but pretty soon after, was at Cliff Bar um, in the marketing department. And you know, one thing led to the other. Another the the industry was growing, the natural foods industry was, was growing really fast at the time, and Cliff, of course, was growing really fast. And I ended up sort of being a brand manager at Cliff Bar, where I managed the Cliff Base brands, and I also um, launched Luna Bar at Cliff. Um, and then from that point forward, I ended up um, going into a, a brand consulting company called Addis, where I worked on some of the biggest natural food brands in the country, including Kashi, Pop chips um, and so on. Um, so you know, my my exposure to the natural foods industry was cemented at a pretty early stage in my career, and I ended up working on just a ton of brands and seeing a lot of brands grow from being, you know, pretty small niche brands into some major players as they are now in the market. Um, and so that's really been my entire career is, is is in brand building, and in building brands, particularly in the natural foods industry. 
You know, it's funny you mentioned Cliff Bar. We started our show, the first segment of our show, quoting from Gary Erickson's book, Raising the Bar. So that's funny because that was uh-huh. probably written not long after, you know, you were you were involved in that brand. And then that's right. You mentioned right. you mentioned Luna and I was uh, consulting to Balance Bar at the time. And I remember a contract mm-hmm. manufacturer or product developer shopping this concept of having a coating on one side of a bar. And <laughs> I gave the people at Balance Bar the advice that that's a lousy idea. That's going nowhere. And, and, and then fast forward, you you guys take Luna and make it sort of the rock star of the category there for years. So that's a, a heck of an Absolutely. introduction. Yeah. How important yeah. were those experiences, you know, at Cliff, consulting to brands, you know, when it came to the real world, harsh reality of building your own brand? Sure. That's an excellent question. Um, and uh, my answer is complicated in that. It's so interesting, um, you know, building brands as I did, um, you know, essentially on PowerPoint um, and, you know, having the ideas and then and then having those ideas be really built out and implemented by the existing infrastructure of the companies that I was consulting for um, that were already, you know, none of the companies I was consulting for were startups. They were all sort of in their, you know, adolescent to um, young adult stage of their life cycle, if you will. Um, and so, you know, and, and I had a lot of successes, but really they were the successes of the, of the organization. All I really had were ideas, <laughs> ideas and, and strategy. And so, you know, I think that it, it certainly as an entrepreneur gave me a, a, a false sense of security around my chances of success. <laughs> and so, and I was quickly disavowed of this notion the moment we started the company. But I realized that, you know, building a brand on PowerPoint, in PowerPoint is not the same as, as launching a brand in the marketplace. Um, <laughs> That's and, a fantastic you know, but very truthful observation. <laughs> so yes, so and, and it was very humbling for me to realize that. And, it, and, I, and the realization was, was fast and furious and painful. Um, but, you know, the, the, all of the sort of the complexities of supply chain and manufacturing and infrastructure and finance, and most critically, sales execution were things that I didn't necessarily have ownership over in my previous life. And so these were all lessons that I had to learn the hard way um, and learn the hard way without a lot of money because we didn't have investors. We funded this all by ourselves and um, and without having, you know, the kind of clout that I had had as part of bigger and more important teams in my past. And so... It was really interesting to take on, for instance, sales, uh, which is something I had never done before. And I specifically, I, I never liked sales. And I ended up becoming the salesperson for the Gabin and having to le- really learn from the ground up what it meant to sell within the industry. And it was, it was really kind of like a zero to 60 experience for me because I didn't understand distribution. I didn't understand brokers. I didn't understand um, you know, promotions, <laughs> none of that. Um, and I certainly didn't, I didn't like knocking on doors and hanging out, you know, waiting outside buyers' offices trying to pitch my product. Um, so it was, it was all a, a big and valuable set of lessons that I learned. Um, manufacturing being another one. I knew nothing about manufacturing. Um, I mean, I knew some about it because of Cliff, but not as much as I, I needed to. And so, you know, that, the whole kind of co-packer relationship and, and, and understanding costing and understanding the complexities of, um, of supply chain, the things I had to learn. And then in particular, I think because we were essentially launching a category, launching a brand new product that no one had ever heard of, and actually 
inventing from the ground up a process for, for making this product. And um, I'm not a food scientist, but I, I really like food science. And so I pretty much like was, you know, learned, I had to learn to make the food, but no, um, with, with no sort of process in place to adapt to the food. So we really had to sort of think laterally around manufacturing um, without a lot of time or a lot of um, support. <laughs> and so it was, a, it was a very interesting experience. And it took, you know, and, and I'll tell you this straight up, that it was not an easy and smooth path. I mean, it took us a lot of, um, a lot of, like trial and error to get to where we are now. And even to this day, I mean, we continue to have, you know, we learn new things every day and make mistakes every day. I mean, I think that's part of the process of being an entrepreneur or just being in business is that, you know, you just, by the time you're, you've gotten everything down to, down to an, to a science, you're ready for the next thing. So, you know, the common I guess theme that's what the innovation is about the common theme, Sarah, we see on almost every guest we have on the show is that, this entire activity, I don't mean the the radio interview, the entire activity of starting a business and building a brand on an ongoing basis is the hardest thing, among the hardest things they've ever even dreamed of doing in their life. And it's just what you said. Absolutely. It's not all the sort of semi-sexy stuff of coming up with cool packaging or telling your story in front of no. a group. It's the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. grind. Every day of fighting, it's cash flow, yes. it's manufacturing challenges, it's all of those things that they it's just... It's warehouses, it's trucking companies. Yeah. Exactly. Orders not delivered on time, you know, customers upset because mm-hmm. they they don't have the product. It's all those things, and it takes a unique cat to kind of fight through that and, and, ma- and make it all work. Ryan had a question. Sar, did you have any trouble convincing retailers to carry another snack? And how did you tell the story to get them interested in the first place? Um, yes, we definitely had a lot of trouble convincing retailers to carry the snack. Um, I think that a big part of that was because we were a little bit ahead of our time. I think that the plant protein phenomenon only began to really sort of take hold maybe in the past two or three years, but we launched the company before then. Um, and so in the beginning, it was just, it was, it was question of, you know, convincing retailers to even take a meeting because they didn't understand what a chickpea was. They didn't understand where to put it in the store. They didn't have any faith that anyone would want, would care or want to buy it. Um, and so it just took a lot of perseverance of getting us out there. It took a couple of retailers believing in us and, and for us being able to take that data and take that demand and spin a good story and then, and then, and then launch it out to the broader, um, into broader distribution. Um, one of the things that, um, you know, the Good Bean has always believed in also another core value of ours is that we, again, believe that healthy food should be accessible to everyone, not just to the natural foods, whole foods consumer. And so, you know, one thing that we've always done from the get-go is is, is uh, try to appeal to and connect with broader mass and conventional marketplaces. Um, and I think that has been a really significant strategy for us. Not that it was that strategic, uh, really. It was more sort of like a... It was just sort of a happy accident, but you know, it turned out that that launching our product into the conventional marketplace um, at a time when you know conventional wisdom, if you will, would say that's a little premature. Like you guys are a natural foods brand, you should prove yourself out right. Whole Foods. That's what you should be doing first. But we didn't really do that. We went out. We went directly into the big marketplace, um, and I think that that was something that was really great for us because it allowed us to launch the category really broadly and really fast. And I think a lot of why you're seeing 
the enormous interest in bean roasted bean snacks and whole bean snacks now is because of some of those efforts that we made pretty early on in, in our life cycle. I think we have time for one more question, Ryan. If you could go back in time and whisper one piece of advice into your own ear, which is a weird concept, but mm-hmm. roll with me here, what would it be? It would be to get the product perfect before we launched it. Hmm. How do you do that, though? Because isn't it always an evolving I don't process? know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good question. Um, but I think that, you know, you do... It's not that you only get one chance, but you do only have one opportunity to make the first impression. And, you know, because, again, we just didn't know what we didn't know, um, we felt it was more important to get the product out there rather than get it to be a place where consumers would really, you know, immediately love it. And so um, I think that we, we still definitely have some fallout from being being a product that was in the market as we were kind of figuring out the kinks and then, you know, certain consumers being like, wow, I tasted your product five years ago and it wasn't great or we didn't love it. And that's definitely something that I wouldn't do again. Oh, this has been so great. Just to prove to you, Sarah, that we're celebrating here, that noise in the background is us opening Yay. the bag. And so we're going to be munching here in a second. So we're, we're, oh, good. Yeah, we're very excited. It's been so great having you on. We, you know, A, we enjoyed the, the free samples. It's such an honor. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we've enjoyed having you on yeah. the show. And we got to get you back on and, and just kind of track how the business is doing over the next couple of years. So thank you again for being on. Sounds great. We'll be back after a short break. You're listening to The Natural Underground. Welcome back to the Natural Underground. Man, it was great having Sara on the show. Oh yeah, and I just have chips in my mouth now. I know, right? <laughs> oh, they're good. They're mm-hmm. so good. I'm, see what I mean about there's a lot of dusty spice like on the coating on the mm-hmm. chips. Yeah, and they're really good. I mean, it's not like I'm not missing a tortilla chip right now right. at yeah. all. Well, look, early in the show, in that first segment, we talked a little bit about does a brand have mojo? And I think our we pulled a lot of that from the founder of Cliff Bar's Mm -hmm. book, which was really interesting that she mentioned that. I know. And then I forgot that she was there. The Cliff Show today. Yeah, it is a Cliff Show. (laughs) And uh, and and for her to kind of have launched Luna, which is such an amazing brand, and then still with all that experience, have to deal with the realities of trying to the hard realities of building your own brands, a perfect testimony. This this gig is not easy sometimes. I guess that's comforting in some way that it's hard for everybody, but also said, not comforting. <laughs> building a brand on PowerPoint is a lot easier than building a brand in real life. Right, yeah. right. No, exactly yeah. right. What was funny about that book and how the mojo phrase came was we were we were standing at uh, an industry show we've referenced before, and certainly our listeners in the industry know it real well, Expo West, uh, out in Anaheim every year. And... Just to set the stage for folks who have not, for some reason, or been there, or listeners on the radio who haven't been there, you have, you know, 77,000 attendees. Mm-hmm. You have what I'm guessing is a thousand booths or something like that. Maybe, so maybe, many. maybe more, right? Go on more. and on. And so I was standing there with, with Gary Erickson, and he looked, we were looking around, and we talked about does a brand have mojo? And what, we meant in that very practical moment was there was a booth across the way and it was Guayaquil Herba Mate. That's so and, good. And, you know, the just awesome yellow can, cool stuff. We've talked about it before on the program. But out in front of that booth, instead of uh, one person, there was probably 50 shoved into a little 10 by 10 or 10 by 20 mm-hmm. booth space. They had music playing. They were all wearing groovy hats, the kind of hats that you, Jesslyn, would like probably more than Ryan. 
What uh, kind of hats? And they were just kind of like... Like fedoras or Fedoras, what? and I'm on some adventure hat. Mm, so <laughs> like, you know, a theater type hat. Theater yeah. hat, for sure. <laughs> yeah. World traveler hat. But they were all having fun, and a little later in the event, they mixed drinks, and they were passing them out, and you could just tell, like, wow, they kind of get it. Meanwhile, one booth away, there'd be a dude that owns, like, you know, I got the shark cartilage rose hip drink mix, and it's like one guy in the back of the booth by himself doing his homework because no one's bothering them by asking questions. Yeah. And it was just, they did a safe, everything was safe, right? Everything right. was practical and there was no mojo. Makes right. sense? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, so what we thought we would do is, okay, in the spirit of that, and if you, certainly, Ryan, I think you can look across categories and see this as well, right? Look, you see across industries as well. Why did Starbucks develop mojo and some other coffee chain never really got it? Why did Apple develop Mojo and other companies full of smart people didn't? Yeah, I'm always amazed at that. Like you can really feel some brands and businesses just have a totally different energy than others. And it's not like they're not trying, but it's just what creates that spark, what makes customers want to migrate to that brand. Because it's a visible difference, you see, and, it's, and it is real, isn't it? I mean, you really yeah. see it on some brands have it, some brands don't. So you know cool at, the, at the Touch Agency at New Brand University, we love making lists. Everything <laughs> is sort of a top five, right? So we thought today we would we kind of formalize those steps that a brand or a person, in your case, Jocelyn, <laughs> looking you, for as, mojo, yeah, <laughs> accomplish. How do you accomplish mojo on a brand or on a business? All right, so let's do this. Number one. Number one. Mm, I like that voice. That is just <laughs> a real credible voice. This is probably the the boring step of the five steps, but we every project that we uh, attack at the touch agency starts with brand positioning. I find it fun. It is because it, I find it uh, a moment of clarity, which is mm -hmm. three steps to the process, three elements. Who's your target audience? In other words, who are you trying to tell your story to? Who are you going after? Who do you expect to buy this product? The second one is, the second part of that is the brand definition, which is, what am I? You know, what are you? How do you talk? What's your little elevator speech as to what you are? And then the final and third part of that element is what's your point of difference? Mm -hmm. The reason that's important is you're not going to create mojo for your brand unless you know what's going to be relevant, interesting, exciting, mm -hmm. motivating for your audience, for the people you're trying to connect with. So even though it's a very practical, businessy sort of step, Time and time again, we see yeah. brands that just don't take the time or to do that. It's interesting when their target audience is maybe not what they thought it was going to be, and you can see them fighting that. Yeah. Like, exactly. no, this is for grandmas, but brands. really it's for babies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and that's always an interesting conversation, seeing yeah. them it fight with who they want to be versus who. It's not like you're talking about Crocs. The company Crocs. It's for grandmas. No, it's for babies. Who is it? <laughs> <laughs> really? Is. You know, they've started making like... I know. Really cool shoes. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Wow. Really strange. They're comfortable. But that kind of goes back to the thing you were talking about with Cliff. Like, you know, can a company evolve? Can they yeah. say, wait a minute, this is what we do, but we better do you we stagnate? Be relevant. We got to make some moves here. Right. Okay. The second one. Number two. <laughs> Find your unique voice, right? So the example is the brand that day we were talking about, Guayaquil, you clearly got what they were about. You spend two minutes with them with their little. Bombilla and their gourd and their little South American story about Herba Mates. And you get this sort of adventuresome, you know, let's go out and, and have a drum circle, do a, <laughs> let's attend a drum circle in a party. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, that is exactly Laid what it is. Fun. And the beautiful thing is brands that have mojo almost always you'll see that they, they have a voice and their voices, you get it from 10 seconds in and that voice is consistent. And it's the same thing in your life. If you want to make yourself a certain person, if you're trying to kind of, you know, that whatever your self-actualization is and that's who you are. Then once you find that voice, your life's a lot happier because you kind of, you see I'm it. taking notes. You're taking notes. <laughs> Number three. Number three. This is the hardest one, we think, for most brands and certainly for emerging brands and in and, and fairness, probably to establish brands as well. Don't play it safe. Right. My gosh, you're, you've taken your own money, most likely, and you've decided you're going to go for yeah. it and start a business or start a brand. Why in the world do you want to just play it so safe that the that that the in reality you're going to bore people? There's already somebody, probably five brands doing what you're doing. You know, push yeah. yourself a little bit. Uh, I can remember the early days of watching Monster Energy develop at Hanson's. We were that was consulting bold. to them, <laughs> and the, the, they were sketching out the claw marks in a, in a in a one graphic designer was kind of playing around with one of the senior managers there and doing that. Then they were talking about, you know, strippers and Vegas and we're going to create this crazy wild atmosphere. And I was like, wow, that is risky, isn't it? Okay, a billion plus later. Mm -hmm. And they figured out that there's people who just wanted that energy drink on the way to Vegas. And then that would sort of become aspirationally wild for all the other elements of their life. Right. Right. They built a brand. And you can say whether you like it or not, you have to look at it and say, wow, these guys clearly did not play it safe no not cool number four number four you know consumers today particularly in the better for you natural healthy space they love romance copy they want to discover something they want to read about it we were just talking yesterday to a brand that will go nameless for now and we were explaining to them that they took the time to build this amazing backstory and it is legitimately really cool and interesting. And yet, we didn't feel like they had fully gone out and said, okay, I'm going to leverage the heck out of this so that people connect with this character they created. Right. And then now they know something more about their brand. But it's, it's people in our industry, particularly the consumers who want to try things that are on a treasure hunt, that discover new stuff, they love buying into whatever you're putting down if it's interesting and you've taken the time uh to really write it up formal form it up formalize it Mm -hmm. um absolutely an opportunity for brands number five okay finally one of the things that we we spent years looking for is kind of a common thread that goes through the different brands that we work with to say what are they doing that makes those brands more of those more often successful than some of the ones who aren't? And part of it is, you know, establishing that mojo. And what is that common thread? A lot of them are on a mission. And in, in the natural food industry, a lot of brands, they're either on a mission or they started off to be on a mission, or maybe they started off because they wanted to make a great product and now they've found a mission. But consumers respond to that a lot and we get pushed back all the time from entrepreneurs who say hey you know i don't know about i mean i want to help uh, donate to a cause or a nonprofit or whatever but i've heard that it doesn't really make a difference and you know why it doesn't because so often it looks like it's slapped on at the end 
It's yeah. sort of, oh, by the way, we're going to contribute some money that you're not sure what it is. Yeah. Or, and we're, we're saving know, the elephants. <laughs> yeah, we're saving the elephants, and it's one cent on every package for five ninety nine, <laughs> And it just seems like, eh, okay. Or, you know, they call it greenwashing. Sometimes it just feels like people have put that out there. But, you know, I can think of brands who were, their mission uh, in the early days of Amy's Kitchen was, we believe people would love uh a vegetarian, you know, it would be more open to a vegetarian uh, diet or a lifestyle if they knew the product could be convenient and incredibly tasty and satisfying and mm-hmm. nutritious and all those things. They really were on a mission, you know, or they would have sold that thing uh, uh, years ago. Right. But they didn't because they're on a mission. You see that with a lot of brands that do well. They really have, they really have in their heart. I can think of a, a chocolate company that we're talking to right now. And I always screw up the name. I think it's Mad Madagas uh, Chocolate, uh, but they are they are committed because they were all former Peace Corps people in Africa, oh, yeah. and they wanted to be able to come back and do something that helped build out that economy and give those folks a chance. Right, to I think a job. company culture is a big part of it. You got to be authentically into it. You yeah. can't just slap that mission on. Yeah, it shows when you don't actually yeah. care. Yeah, it does. People sense it something. Like it's Patagonia is a great yeah. example of one that started as an extreme climbing thing and worrying about the environment and then grew into this brand. Right, that exactly. People think of today. Well, yeah. perfect. Those are five very important uh, points to keep in mind when building Mojo. Well, that's our show for this week. Thank you so much to our guest, Sarah Wallace from The Good Bean. As a reminder, the Touch Agency is always available to help you build out your food or beverage brand or idea. Since 1998, we have helped build out over 100 brands, some brands that have a lot of great mojo. If you want to know more about us, you can contact us at info at newbranduniversity.com. That's our show for this week. Thanks for listening to The Natural Underground. We'll see you next week.